Good afternoon and welcome. Welcome to worship of the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And if you are visiting with us, we welcome you. We're thankful that you have joined with us. We pray the Lord would bless this time of worship for you as well as we direct our honor and praise to God Most High. Our call to worship this afternoon is from Psalm 47. O clap your hands, all you people. Shout to God with a voice of triumph. For the Lord Most High is awesome. He is a great king over all the earth. He will subdue the peoples under us and the nations under our feet. He will choose our inheritance for us, the excellence of Jacob, whom he loves. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our King, sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth, sing praises with understanding. God reigns over the nations, God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the people have gathered together the people of the God of Abraham, for the shields of the earth belong to God. He is greatly exalted. I think those verses might remind us of what the Lord Jesus Christ, our King, has said. I have, uh, do, not be, do not fear, I have overcome the world. And uh, therefore, yeah, do not, be, uh, be of, or be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. He reigns over all things, and therefore let us rejoice. Let us sing unto our King. Before we do so, we'll first come before the Lord in a moment of silent prayer as he asks the Lord a blessing and for his spirit at this time. to stand if you are able to come into the presence of God we acknowledge with the psalmist that our hope is in him our strength from him with the psalmist we say the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer my God my strength in whom I will trust receive his greeting grace mercy and peace from God our father and from Jesus Christ our Lord Amen. Opening song of worship is hymn number 435. We've just heard the call to sing praises before our God. And now let us do so. 435, humble praises, holy Jesus.
Hallelujah to our King. Praise the Lord. And as we worship Him, we worship Him because He has revealed Himself to us in His Word. And that's what we'll be confessing this afternoon. Uh, that truth found in, in the chapter 1, paragraph 1 of Westminster Confession of Faith, which is printed in your, your bulletins, the inset of your bulletins on the second page. And if I do have an extra one here. Renew at this, so. Anyone else needing? See there, inset, the second page, this confession of faith. And this is uh, chapter one, which is of the Holy Scripture. And we'll, we'll say this together. You see the commas, which are as pauses and the ends of the line as well. It'll help us uh, to keep pace with each other. Let's say this together. Congregation, what do we believe? Although the light of nature and the works of creation and providence do so far manifest the goodness, wisdom, and power of God as to leave men inexcusable. Yet they are not sufficient to give that knowledge of God and of His will which is necessary unto salvation. Therefore it pleased the Lord at sundry times and in diverse manners, to reveal himself and to declare that his will atone his church, and afterwards for the better preserving and propagating of the truth, and for the more sure establishment and comfort of the church against the corruption of the flesh and the malice of Satan and of the world, to commit the same wholly unto writing, which maketh the Holy Scripture to be most necessary, those former ways of God's revealing His will unto His people being now ceased. You see, the truth that this confesses that although God has revealed Himself in, in, a, in a general way, in a way to all, all peoples and creation, and in, a, in sustaining creation, uh, nevertheless, that is insufficient to bring sinners to salvation because we suppress that truth and unrighteousness. We rebel against the truth. And uh, God then in his mercy has given and his grace has revealed himself to us in time and in history to his chosen people. He's done so in various ways, in supernatural ways, and then has committed that to writing. Uh, and, and, and so that we have a, the complete word of God, it is sufficient unto salvation, and it is absolutely necessary in order that we might believe in Jesus Christ and have life eternal and know God. So praise God for his word that he has given to his church, and which is a means of the building of his church and the coming of his kingdom. We'll sing together 
hymn number 479. Uh, I love thy kingdom, Lord, and keep in mind that, again, the means that God has given for his church and his kingdom to be uh, sustained, that is through the word. 479, all verses. One more item to remember in prayer, in addition to what's been in the bulletin, and that is that um, uh, Barbara Bledgewood's sister, uh, Dora, uh, that she has been awaiting a kidney transplant this past week. Uh, that kidney transplant did take place, and with appear uh, success. Um, so we pray the Lord's blessing, continued blessing on that as uh, as uh, is still. Not uh, completely yet um, been confirmed that her body has received it, the organ, but it appears to be well. She still have more dialysis treatments and then uh, go home and Lord willing that will at some point uh, be the indication that she, that it was entirely, as it appeared, uh, be successful. So Let's come before our God in prayer. Let's pray. Father, you have commanded us to pray always with thanksgiving and to never stop praying for all the believers. You've commanded us to continue in prayer and in everything by prayer and supplication to make our requests known to you. 
You have directed us to ask and seek and knock. And you have promised that we will receive, we will find, and it will be opened to us. You have appointed us a great high priest in whose name we may come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may find mercy and grace to help in time of need. You have assured us that while the sacrifice of the wicked is an atrocity, you delight in the prayer of the upright. The praise of the upright glorifies you, and their sacrifice of thanksgiving will please you. You are the one who hears prayer, so we come to you. You tell us to seek your face, and our hearts answer, we will seek you. Should a people not seek their God, where else would we go but to you? You have the words of eternal life. O glorious Father in heaven, we come and we thank you, O Father, that you have, have opened up to us your word. You have opened up heaven to us with all its glories, with the glories of your own being. And you have brought us into fellowship, into the fellowship even of the triune God. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that we may have communion with you, that we may call you our Father, even as your Holy Son, Jesus Christ, calls you Father, that you look upon us as Son, and that your Spirit works in us and dwells in us and brings Jesus Christ to us, all the blessings of of Christ, and reveals Jesus Christ and the Father to us. Father, we thank you that we may behold your face and your glory in Jesus Christ. What blessings we have, Father, in being brought unto you, that drawing near to you, you have first drawn near to us. In loving you, you have first loved us. In receiving you, You have first received us in Jesus Christ. And you have placed us in his body. You have placed us in a place which your spirit dwells in the fullness of God. And in the fellowship of the spirit. Oh blessed God, we thank you that these are the privileges, these are the joys, these are the treasures that we enjoy together in worship of you with your people. And we pray, Father, that you'd open your word to us, that we might receive more of that which you have committed to writing, that which you have revealed to your people in times past, that which we can see through time and history has stood the test of time, that it is indeed true and endures forever, that which could not be blotted out by all the work of the devil and by the world, even seeking to ban it and to destroy it. It endures forever, for it is your revelation, and it is sealed by the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. Indeed, he is the word of the flesh, and Father, we thank you that it's unto him that we draw nigh, and it's it's him that we have come to know, and who knows us. Father, we thank you that We have such communion together in Jesus Christ. 
And it's a communion, Father, which we are preserved and we live forever. Our identities are not destroyed, but we are honored and lifted up and brought into union in Jesus Christ. And we are known and we know and we have consciousness, the height of consciousness in him. Father, we pray then that as we are here together that we might have that knowledge and that wisdom of that fullness of mind and of heart as we think upon our Lord Jesus Christ, as we see ourselves in him, individually and collectively. Father, we thank you for uh, the fellowship of gifts that we enjoy, the sharing of love, the sharing of ministries and, and receiving and, 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 and giving and serving in these ministries. We pray, Father, that you sustain us whether, uh, and, and continue to give us willing hearts and joyful hearts as we do so, that we know that the work that we do, whether it's hospitality, whether it's getting things ready in the building here, uh, doing bulletins, working in the nursery, shoveling snow, whether it's uh, the ministries at home, whether it's out of evangelism, whether it's of encouraging one another, helping with the needs of the elderly, helping with the needs of the children, that, Father, uh, this is not go unnoticed by you, that you see, and that we pray that we might do so then with a, a spirit of joy and fulfillment and service unto Christ, We pray, Heavenly Father, that then as people we would not allow these things to go unnoticed either and that we would be thankful to you and to one another for all these gifts of ministry uh, that you have worked by your Spirit among us. Thank you. Father, for each one, each member, young or old, in this church, all gifts of of you, Father, to the body. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would, that you provide for us Sustain us. We thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayers again and again. We think back, Lord, recently upon prayers we have uttered to you, dependencies we have brought before you, and amazing ways in which you have answered. And Father, these are just some we recognize that we so often forget even the things that we have prayed for before you. You answer and we do not even notice Father, we thank you for the healing for Ellen in her heart. Amazing, Father, what you have done. Uh, We thank you, Father, for, uh, for causing that to be answered by your divine hand. Uh, Her valve being healed. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for Gord's uh, eye pressure returning to a, a normal range. Uh, we pray, th- pray that you continue, Father, to, su- 
keep it at this range, but we recognize your mercy in so doing. Father, we thank you also uh, that Jen, her scans, Father, while we're it might be concerned, concerned about that one area in her lungs where the nodule has grown, that overall uh, the cancer has stalled and, and even has receded in noticeable ways in certain areas. We recognize your mercy, your love, and the hearing of your people in this. We know, Father, you always hear us. You always give to us what is good. We thank you for doing so in this way this week. We thank you too, Father, for this mercy that you've given to Barb's sister, Dora, in the blessing upon this kidney transplant. And we pray, Father, you sustain her by it, uh, that her body would receive it well, and that, Father, she, as she bears this testimony within her of your love and mercy and care to her, that she too would give praise and thanks to you, Father, who has done this. Father, we thank you that you are always with your people, always the faithful and attentive shepherd who knows the things of your sheep, who knows our burdens and concerns. Draw near to us, we pray. Build up your church. We love your kingdom, Lord, the house of your abode. And Father, we pray that your kingdom would come then in its fullness and in our midst, for the kingdom is within us. We pray, Heavenly Father, you build on the work that you have done before, line upon line. We pray that you would cause us to understand more fully the things of our Lord Jesus Christ and the areas, Father, where we have perhaps fallen away from you. Areas, perhaps, Father, where we need to be challenged and confronted. Give us humble hearts, we pray, to receive that. Do not mute your word. Do not have deaf ears toward the shepherd's voice. Do not run from him as he pursues us. But to turn to him. To be received by him, knowing he does so in love for us. He cares for us. And to hear him. Bless us, we pray. Look upon us for light, we beseech you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be looking... This afternoon at a rather sad chapter in Israel, there's a number of those in the history of of Israel and Judah, and 
They're all lessons for the church today. Lessons that come to us by God's grace, by his love to us. We're going to sing of a prayer, a prayer for God's mercy and grace to shine upon his people. It's from Psalm 80. There's a continuing refrain that's in this hymn as well. Uh, Let your face shine upon us again. And uh, in that way, it's, it's often referred to as a psalm or song of revival. Praying for the Lord's revival of his church. Let's sing that together. Number 153 in the red Psalter hymnals. Great shepherd who leadest thy people in love. We'll stand and sing the six verses.
last verse true for us? When thou shalt revive us, thy name we will praise, and never more turning depart from thy ways. We resolve. Is that our hope and prayer resolution? O Lord God Almighty, in mercy restore, and we shall be saved when thy face shines once more. Congregation, we are looking at this afternoon at 1 Kings chapter 14. In the second half of this chapter, 1 Kings chapter 14, beginning at verse 21. The first half of that chapter was a, a consideration of the things in, uh, in Israel during the reign of Jeroboam. Um, and particularly with regard to that son of Jeroboam, but then the judgment upon Jeroboam that followed because of his disobedience, because he hardened his heart to the word of the Lord, would not obey, and, the, and he, uh, he broke God's covenant that God had mercifully made with him, and God promises that he will also have that same prophecy uh, that he gives in the same prophecy would be true of him, that the kingdom will be torn from him, that his house will be wiped out, in fact, that everyone will die, except for, uh, will, will be killed, uh, come to a dishonorable death, be struck down, their blood will be shed, it will be as garbage taken out of the kingdom, except for one son, the son that's sick, he's going to die early, and that's going to be a mercy, a mercy to him, a judgment upon Jeroboam and his wife. But what's going on in Judah? Well, that's what we're looking at uh, this afternoon in a synopsis of Rehoboam, the son of Solomon's reign, uh, his life and reign. Verses 21 to 31, chapter 14. This is the word of the Lord. Let's hear him. And Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, reigned in Judah. Rehoboam was 41 years old when he became king. He reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city which the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. His mother's name was Nama, an Ammonites. Now Judah did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they provoked him to jealousy with their sins which they committed more than all that their fathers had done. For they also built for themselves high places, sacred pillars and wooden images on every high hill and under every green tree. And there were, there were also perverted persons in the land. They did according to all the abominations of the nations which the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. It happened in the fifth year of King Rehoboam that Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem. And he took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. He took away everything. He also took away all the gold shields which Solomon had made. Then King Rehoboam made bronze shields in their place and committed them to the hands of the captain, captains of the guard who guarded the doorway of the king's house. 
And whenever the king entered the house of the Lord, the guards carried them, then brought them back into the guardroom. And the rest of the acts of Rehoboam and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of, his, of Judah? And there was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all their days. So Rehoboam rested with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. His mother's name was Nama and Ammonites. And Abijam, his son, reigned in his place. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ. While I was in seminary, I had a professor by the name of Dr. Morton Smith. He has passed away a number of years ago. He was my professor of theology. And he wrote a book. A book chronicling the history of a large conservative Presbyterian denomination in the United States called the Presbyterian Church of America, the PCA, as it's known today. And he chronicled its steady, gradual departure through the years up to that point. I think the book was written in the 90s, I believe. Um, And he chronicled their the acts of synod and the compromises that were made and the departure from their first resolutions that they had made. And the title of the book was called How Is the Gold Become Dim? How is the gold become dim? How the gold has lost its luster, its gleam, its glow, its brightness, its purity, and that line, how is the gold become dim, is taken from the King James language, a King James line, line uh, of Lamentations 4, verse 1. How is the gold become dim? How changed the fine gold. The stones of the sanctuary are scattered at the head of every street. How the gold has become dim. It's a line that summarizes Israel. Israel's history from its glorious beginning to its downfall at exile. From David, the height, the height, of, the height of, of the kingdom of Israel at the time of Solomon, to Israel was taken captive. The time when Israel had departed from the Lord. They didn't know the Lord. They worshipped all sorts of idols in the place of of, of God. The gold has become dim. It no longer shines, but looks as the dirt and stones of the street lost its glow, its purity. How often is this the case with churches, with denominations, with seminaries? with individuals even. And why? What allows for the decline? And we can't explore all that in the afternoon. But it's a good question. How is that? If God calls us into His people, into His, His church... 
If we see here, it was a sin for Jeroboam to rebel against Rehoboam as he did. And for Rehoboam, the wars that continued, that's his legacy here, continued at war against Jeroboam, brother against brother, instead of being in union and fellowship with one another. Yeah. We see the decline of these same bodies of the people of God, of these same institutions which serve or are meant to serve the, the body of Christ. And again and again through time and history, they fall away. What allows for that? What causes that? We see it happening around certain individuals, certain personalities. What is it with regard to that person that hijacks the church from its original purpose of glorifying, worshiping, proclaiming Christ in purity and in truth, in ministry and in life? Here's one, Rehoboam, before us. Right? Where we see this is true. We see the gold suddenly dimming. Not just Rehoboam, but Solomon before this, but certainly all this, uh, even more so, even dramatically with Rehoboam. We can look back on these inspired records of history here in 1 Kings chapter 14 and see perhaps in even greater clarity, looking back, hindsight's 2020. You see, perhaps in greater clarity than even the Israelites living at that time, some realities and truths and have some insights, lessons that we can learn, lessons that are there for us today in our church, in our denomination, that must be applied, and for us individually, to prevent the gold from becoming dim. That it might shine with luster and impurity. Look at that. I'm going to look first at the infidelity. And secondly, the crumbling. First, the infidelity that imperils covenant identity. This infidelity that imperils Israel's covenant identity. We have a glimpse of the gold here at the beginning of this passage. We have sort of like the starting point that God has given in his covenant with David right at the beginning in verse 21 in this synopsis of Rehoboam's reign. Verse 21, we read, Rehoboam, son of Solomon, reigned in Judah. Rehoboam, 41 years old, he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem. What does it say here in terms of the description of Jerusalem? This is not just uh, uh, mundane, mindless details that have been inserted. The city which the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. That's the covenant context of Rehoboam's reign. He's not just any king in time and history or any nation in the world. He is king for 17 years in the city of Israel, which God had chosen from all the cities in Israel to put his name there. In other words, 
This is where God put his representative. The representative that came with his covenant with Israel. His covenant is, I will be a God to you, you shall be my people. And here is my ambassador who shall lead you in truth and in righteousness. He will be the shepherd of my people Israel. He will be the one who will administer and will be an example, will shepherd according to my law, rule according to my law, administrate according to my law. And he will be the one through whom I will protect my people as a shepherd. I'll give deliverance through him. I'll give him might. I'll give him power in order that he will be able to deliver them from the enemies round about. He will be the one through that will, will be a representative of God's holiness, of God's power of God's righteousness. That's an honor. That's a high calling that God has given to the line of kings there in Jerusalem. And along with the king, God's house. God's house, the holy temple, his mercy seat and his, uh, and his throne uh, there in the holy of holies among his people. That's the gold. That's the honor that Israel had. God in the midst of his people. Blessed is a people whose God is the Lord. A congregation, such a privilege and honor is ours too. Even greater than Israel's. Jesus Christ is our king, having come for us, having sent his spirit to us with all the gifts of, of, of his work, all the gifts of his work on the cross and, and rising from the dead for us, for peace and righteousness, ministry and power. He has brought his kingdom to us and, and we into that kingdom. As for Rehoboam and for Israel, so much more, more so for us. And what do we do? What do you do? with those privileges and with those honors. What do they mean to you? Rehoboam had no excuse. He came to the throne at 41 years old. It's not as if he came at like Josiah, uh, seven years old. It's not as if he was too young. And in those years of his life, he had witnessed his father as a man who, who knew wisdom, who wrote wisdom, and the fear of the Lord. Now sadly, Solomon's knowledge of wisdom did not keep him from utter folly. We read that Rehoboam's mother was Nama, an Ammonites. And be Solomon's, one of Solomon's wives. Wives. And that's important. I see that in the book of Kings again and again. Mothers are important. And here too. It's mentioned here. It's mentioned at the end of this account in verse 31. It's very important. It frames this account. Here is an influence in terms of what's going on here in Israel and Judah. In terms of what's going on with Rehoboam. His mother was an Ammonites. That's not racist. Rather, we know in the context of 1 Kings, 
that Solomon married many women foreign women who came from idol worshiping countries and he allowed these women to come and to bring their idols with them and he built temples for them all throughout the land and undoubtedly that's what has happened here with regard to Nama that she's an Ammonitess who has worshipped Ammonite gods and she has come with her religion and with her influence her pagan influence and you can see the effect of this upon Israel. You see what happens, young people, when you marry someone who might be good-looking, who might indeed be very polite and kind and thoughtful, a sweet girl, intelligent, well-meaning, but does not love your God, does not love Jesus Christ and commit herself to him. You cannot count on her at some point turning to the Lord. You don't know. Rather, she might, as Nama here, teach your children to follow other gods rather than follow Jesus. See how Rehoboam, we've seen how He did not walk in the ways of the Lord. And that's the synopsis on his life at the uh, the end of of this chapter here. Or or, or that's the the import we get from this chapter here. uh, and, And also from the chapter previously that he did not consult with the Lord when the Israelites came before him and and asked that their task would, the yoke would be lightened on them. Rather, he said, no. Rather, I'm, I'm going to increase your task. I'm going to scourge you, even worse, with scorpions. And, and in, in the parallel account in Second Chronicles chapter 12, it ends with saying he did not seek, follow the Lord. He did much wicked. That was a... That was the tenor of his whole life. And his legacy is disunity. He divided Israel. His, we see the failure of Rehoboam to lead Israel in righteousness and, the, and, and, and also then the legacy of his mother's influence on him and on Israel. As goes the king, so goes the people. They were leaders. Rehoboam, it would appear, led them in wickedness. Because we read right after uh, the, the, his reign, the mention of the reign, 17 years, in verse 22, Judah did evil in the sight of the Lord. And they provoked him to jealousy with their sins that they committed. They provoked him to jealousy, doing evil in his sight. You see here, this is their relationship with the God of Israel, the one who is to be their object of, of worship and devotion. They have abandoned him for idols. They worship for them, uh, they build for themselves high places. 
sacred pillars, wooden images on all the hills of Israel. Israel's landscape is filled with these features of Canaanite idolatry. The, the religious building had already been built. There was a temple in Jerusalem. And instead they fill the rest of Israel with all these monuments to other gods. It's like somebody married to someone has their, their, be, their, their, their house and has their bedroom, has their bed. But then they also have all these other, uh, uh, other houses and bedrooms in the neighborhood where they also go and sleep with other women. Is that not an offense? Is that not infidelity? Is that not great sin against God? Let me read in verse 24. They were perverted persons in the land. The Hebrew, that's an interpretation of the Hebrew and, and is, is rather more literally, it's cult prostitutes. Cult prostitutes, those who gave their bodies in harlotry for the sake of their gods. Hosea chapter 4, verse 14, the prophet says, The men themselves go aside with prostitutes and sacrifice with cult prostitutes. Now, the evaluation is that, that, that God gives here is in verse 24, the end of verse 24, is that, is, is that they did according to all the abominations of the nations which the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. These are, are, these are great sins against God. They're abominable. They're, so, they're hated by God. They go utterly against Him. And these look exactly like that which the Canaanites did, who hated and did not fear God, those whom deserved God's wrath and his punishment. God cast them out of the land and he replaced them with the people of Israel. And so what it's telling us is that God's people, they look like the world. Perhaps even worse than the world. They transfer themselves, rather than into the image of God, they transfer themselves into the image of the devil. Rehoboam's Judah serves as a lesson for the church today. If we profess Christ, but live like the world. If we live for our work alone. If we, without conviction, without repentance, just go and talk like the world. If we go out and party, and party wild, and then show up for church on Sunday, we do evil in the sight of the Lord and provoke him to jealousy. It's not like your good deed of going to church on Sunday wipes away the stain, the defilement, the filth of your living in the week. It's not as if Israel can go three times a, a year to Jerusalem on their pilgrimage and in the meantime worship other idols 
and somehow still be God's chosen people that are pleasing to him? Do we hear in this passage the spirit of the bridegroom yearning jealously for his people who have turned away from him, calling unto his bride and saying, come out from the world, come out from among them, be separate, turn aside and look upon the beautiful Savior Jesus Christ, the Son of God that is given for you. Turn with all your heart and mind. Turn away from the empty world. The world of death. And look upon the Lord of life and the Lord of grace. Be saved from this perverse generation. And God says, I will be a father to you. And you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. congregation we see that this that infidelity with the Lord disloyalty with the Lord allowing sin to continue to go on in our lives without turning to Jesus Christ without confessing it before him that this infidelity does imperil it does put into question your covenant identity you being the Lord's chosen people instead of his favor resting upon you you need to know his wrath is resting upon you if you continue in such a way Before we look at our second point, we're going to sing together. We're going to stand and sing number 214. Number 214, psalm based on Psalm 107, which is a psalm of, of a number of different scenarios in which God's people are in rebellion, they're in Misery that comes because of their rebellion and the response that is necessary is to cry out to the Lord and then to praise him for his wonderful acts to the children of men. Let's sing together number 214. We'll stand.
congregation. Having seen the infidelity of Israel, we see secondly the result of this, this crumbling of the kingdom, the beginning of this crumbling of the kingdom. You see this conquest precipitating this kingdom crumbling. In the providence of the Lord, you see in the second half of this chapter, verses 25 to 28 particularly, that in the Lord's providence, this king, Shishak of Egypt, he comes against Jerusalem. He's a mighty king. And uh, we actually see, uh, if we read uh, the other accounts, uh, we see that he also went through all Israel, and he just went freely throughout these kingdoms, pillaging and plundering as he went. He didn't put the peoples, make them captive, but he just went everywhere pillaging and plundering as he wished. In Second Kings chapter 12, 2 and 3, it says he went around with 1,200 chariots, 60,000 horsemen, and soldiers without number. So massive force. And this we see is, this is in the will of the Lord. It comes to Jerusalem after going through Judah, pillaging, plundering. He comes to the capital city, Jerusalem, and it tells us that he takes away all the, all the treasures of the Lord's house. In verse 26. As well as all those in the palace as well. Plundering the, uh, the gold and treasures and in the palace. He took away, verse says in 26, everything. Everything. And think about that. The glory that Solomon, David and Solomon, had built up for years is gone in probably a few days or maybe a few weeks. How could it be that God would allow the riches he had given to David and Solomon, which pictured in an outward way the glories of his kingdom, the blessings that he gives to the people who call upon the name of the Lord, and in an outward way, he did that here. How blessed is a nation whom God, the Lord, makes covenant with. He, he, that, that whole the, the evidence of that, the people living in all these riches and prosperity that came about because the Lord had blessed in his grace David and Solomon, these kings who, uh, who also answer the Lord's covenant in faith and obedience. That it's all just handed over to a foreign king. In a matter of days or weeks. Why would God do that? Isn't that discouraging? But you know that all that God does is righteous and just. 
And all he does with regard to his people is in his covenant, framed by his covenant of grace, and it is for our, their good. And we have to remember that God's people acted abominably. And when we see such a punishment come upon wicked people, we know that the sin was that aggravating before God. It was that great. It's no accident of history that this happens. It's not, it's not, uh, uh, there's no such thing as a general misfortune. This, we see, is by the working of God under his sovereign ruling and leading. In First, Second Chronicles chapter 12, verse 5, God sends a prophet, Shemaiah, with his word and says to Israel, this is because you have forsaken me. You have forsaken me. That message is brought to the king, Rehoboam. They have broken their relationship with God. They have turned and rejected God for the nations. And now God just opens a door for the nations then to come in. You want to be like the world? You want the world? Here it is. Let them help themselves to it. Let them help themselves to you. In 2 Kings we read, that God had a specific purpose in this. Rehoboam did initially. He did humble himself before God. But God still didn't, God said, uh, he, God didn't bring them into captive through Shishak. God said he would not do so, but he still would allow Shishak to come in. He still would cause Shishak to come in in order to teach them an important lesson. They take away everything, including the gold shields. This is important, as you see, in terms of lessons that Israel need to learn here, that we need to learn from this. The gold shields, and in 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 16, we, we, we've, we can see the origin of those gold shields that the Solomon had, had made these. They were each weighed three minas of, of gold, three minas of hammered gold. Each of these, uh, the, they were 200 body-sized shields, heavy shields of solid gold. Gold brought by, the, by the, 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 the tribute of other nations. Vassal peoples to David and Israel. 300 smaller shields to cover the torso of a soldier. And these were all stored and lined up in the, the house of the forest of Lebanon. And these were taken away by Shishak, who is king what? Boys and girls, king of Egypt. He's Pharaoh. Does that bring something to mind, maybe? If you turn to Exodus chapter 12, Exodus chapter 12, verses 35 and 36. Exodus chapter 12, verses 35 and 36. And this is when, when God was bringing his people, Israel, out of the land of Egypt. 
when they were, had just celebrated the Passover feast, when God's angel of death had, 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 in the last plague upon Israel, had come in the dark of night and had struck down the firstborns in, 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 in the pe- people's houses in Egypt, the, of the Egyptian households, even in Pharaoh's own household. And the people woke up and saw when their, their oldest son's dead and there was a crying out throughout Egypt. And there was a, a, there was a, a, a great cry in all people of Egypt to, to get this people out of here. Now we read in verse 35 and 36, Now the children of Israel had done according to the word of Moses, and they had asked from the Egyptians articles of silver, articles of gold, and clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they granted them what they requested. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. Egypt. I see in the Ten Commandments, preface to it was a symbol of spiritual bondage for Israel. Bondage to sin, that which we need to be delivered from. They're helpless in that bondage. And God delivering her, Israel, from Egypt, that's the symbol of God's gracious and powerful salvation. And God, in giving his people salvation, loaded on them all this gold, all this jewelry and treasure in order to show how blessed are the people that he saves, how blessed are the people with whom he makes covenant, who walk in obedience to him. This is the beginning of Israel's gold. But now, after various chapters of gold flowing to Israel, the gold is going the other way. Going to the nations, and here, first of all, going back to Egypt. Rushing back into Egypt. The people who came out of Egypt, who inherited by faith this land, now are the people who are what? They're acting abominably like the Canaanites. You see the pattern here. They're living like the Canaanites who God, having brought his people out of Egypt, having saved them, brought them into the land of Canaanites, moved the Canaanites because he was angry with them because they acted abominably. Israel's now acting abominably. And God, in some perhaps irony, to teach his people is saying, do you want to go back to the bondage? Do you want to be like the world? Do you want to go back to the world again? Back to darkness, back to those miseries of sin. Do you want me to give you over? If so, here's a refund in all the gold. First of all, it goes back to Egypt. The world takes. The world takes. The world plunders. The world destroys. Second Chronicles 12. God says to Shemaiah that Rehoboam uh, 
who, though he humbles himself, yet the whole course of his life does not really change, that God still will cause him to suffer at Shishak's hand in order to teach Israel the contrast between service to Shishak, service to the world, and service to the Lord. Who do you want to serve? Who do you want to follow? Who is going to lead you? Rehoboam's response to this is rather telling, isn't it? What does a sinner do unawakened by the punishments from the Lord and stubborn in his sin? That's what we see Rehoboam doing. Having lost much of the inherited riches as Solomon's son, having lost them, He clings to cheap substitutes. He makes bronze shields instead. Cheap knockoffs. And he commits these bronze replacements to the captain of the guard as if these are so valuable. And he has a ceremony with them. The guards carry them as he goes up to the house of the Lord. As if... It's someone who does not awaken to the reality of what has happened. Who does not take lesson in terms of what has happened and said, yeah, I lost my light, my, my house because I, I didn't pay my taxes, but at least I can still live in my shed. Yes, I, I lost all those pearls because I didn't, I wasn't careful with them. But it goes out the plastic pearls from the dollar store and brags on those instead. It teaches us the foolishness of our idolatry as Rehoboam will cling to a cheap replacement, hardly as it were noticing the passing glories of the kingdom, its treasure houses empty, the gold taken off the walls, everything crumbling. And the reason, because it's his departure from the Lord, it's his breaking off of covenant with God, so also the church when she turns from obeying the word of the Lord. Instead of Christ being her heart, instead of her spiritual gifts being recognized as her wealth that God has blessed her with, and the peace of the gospel being the riches that she holds out to the world and, and may enjoy in her heart and his beauty and grace that should enrapture her. She instead throws them off and she turns to silly replacements, to traditions and to entertainments, to other literature, to market tricks, to things good in themselves but not of a quality that is not destroyed at the death and judgment of this world. The very goal that God has alone given to the church, which might indeed by the Spirit's work entice and draw and rejoice the world, the church drops behind her in the mud and looks with longing like Lot's wife at the world 
at the world and its empty fun, fun while the flames are burning at its edges. We're so easily drawn away. Let's learn from Rehoboam here. The world gives back less than you get from it. It gives bronze instead of gold. Sell yourself to the world and the result will be that you'll be used and abused and worn out and tossed out by a world that really does not care except for her present moment of satisfaction. Cut yourself off from the Lord God who saves you in whom there is life. And God will let you drift with the world. Cut yourself off from Christ who is a savior from sin and from eternal condemnation, eternal ruin, and from emptiness and death within yourself. And you cut yourself adrift from him and you will float in the messy wreckage of the world that it leaves behind. Rather, cling to Christ the Lord because in him are the riches of wisdom and knowledge. It is in clinging to Christ. It is holding fast to Christ who is our head, who is our savior congregation. That the church is preserved from generation to generation. It's preserved even against the worst attacks of the world, against the worst attacks of the devil. The world might do everything it might do. You might have the strongest Chinese government that seeks to clamp down and destroy it, and it cannot. You may have Sharia law that's exercised in Saudi Arabia or in Iraq. A dark oppressor's hand, and the harder they try, the brighter the church gleams. But the more that the church sees the world, the dimmer the gold of the church shines. The more we're mesmerized by the world, the more, the less we prize the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you love him? In knowing him, young people, there is joy. In having him, there is peace. Have you known him? Turn to him. Commit your ways to him, following him, reading his word, learning from him in all things he does in your life, as Rehoboam should have done. If you learn from him and his word, you will be blessed and avoid this ruin of the world. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, within ourselves, Father, within our own hearts are these seeds of falling away from you of drifting with the world. Father, take away the dullness of heart and of mind that we might see clearly our Lord Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of all these promises, the one who is our Lord and King, 
who is our faithful king, who delivers us, but also leads us in righteousness unto life and glory. Let us see him, Father, in his dying love for us on the cross, in his triumph from the grave, so that we, believing in him, humble before him, might not sell our soul to the world, might not crumble as we compromise more and more, but instead that we might be faithful to you and love you above all else. We pray, Father, then, for the blessing of your Spirit upon your word in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us sing together. Response, hymn number 453. 453 for a closer walk with God. And as we do so, we'll also this time uh, worship the Lord, the giving of offerings to Him. The offering is for mission to Italy for the work of Pastor Mike Cuneo in Italy. And we'll stand for the last verse of 453.
Our doxology will be hymn song number 310, 310. Let's go with the Lord's blessing upon us, congregation. Now may the Lord of peace himself direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ and give you peace always in every way. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen.